uh, normally CAV would uh, go through a run sheet, uh, which has been shared and we posted it in the main channel. We can do that. All right. So this is basically what's pending, the universe of things that are being worked on or uh, are uh, pending something. So 301 and 307, that's the proxy architecture. We did the presentation. So should we? Should As we can start? get started? Yeah, let's get started. Uh, unless you want to wait for someone. Am I the only one not hearing anything or? Uh, Caleb, I... can you hear me? You I can, can hear, hear Caleb, uh, and a fifth. I'm Daniel, I think... but I think okay. he, he wasn't hearing I... us. I think he wasn't okay. hearing us. Yeah, Normally I have the mic problem. This time it's, uh, <laughs> Dan with the speaker problem. Uh, maybe let's give, let's give, yeah, let's give him a second connected. so he can rejoin. Can you hear us now? Can you? Daniel, can you hear us? Here? No, he's got some kind of speaker issue. All right. Maybe someone just DM him and let him know. I'll, I'll, I'll send him a message. I just sent him a message. I suggest in future everyone comes on half an hour earlier, especially the yeah, Australians, so that they can test their mics. Yeah, of should be fine now. Card restart. Yeah, we can hear you. Sorry for that. No issue. So first topic is 301 and 307. Um, I can give us an update. We had the presentation last week. Is this um, a kind of in the stage of being implemented? The proxy architecture. Um, oh yeah, uh, do you want to take Go that? Ahead. Yeah, I can take that. Um, no, it, it is implemented. Um, it's okay. currently being published for community use, and we are about to start the official audit. Okay, and how, how will you publish it for community use? Is it? Uh... Yeah, it's uh, at the moment. It's just on a on a public package within our B3 monorepo, and we're just going to make it an NPM package and okay. with a bit of documentation because other projects are starting to use it, and we want more projects to use it. Can you share which projects? Uh, for the time being, it's a project called Grateful. Uh, it's a very small initiative. Uh, one of our mentorships from the Ethernet DAO. Uh, 
Um, so some other projects, which I can't remember right now, have been asking for it. I showed them how it works, and I'm not sure if they ended up using it. But that's all I have for now. Awesome. Um, not it. That's three one and three seven. So um, as soon as it's uh, it goes to audit, like uh, it doesn't need to be in the sheet here since it's no longer pending, right? As long as soon as it's uh, it goes through audit and it's okay, it's no longer pending or pending. Uh, Three hundred one and three hundred seven. There's uh, a couple of things we need to do, especially for three hundred one, before we can yeah. um, officially start the audit. But yeah, that end date represents uh, shipment to to audit. Not it. Um, three hundred two, three hundred three, three hundred four. Quite a handful. These are part of the, like, I know that liquidation, we were having the presentation today. Credit delegation, I have no clue what that is. Um, that, um, that was just sort of a blanket term to try to capture 302 and 303. Okay. And uh, what's the progress on this? Is it still an implementation stage? Is it... Uh, yeah, so like at a, at a high level, um, with V3 right now, we, we spoke to the auditors this morning about, um, just sort of getting everything on their radar and, um, we're, we're getting into a phase where we want to start polishing off 307 and 301 so we can hand it off to them. Uh, sure, and that, sure. could, that could happen, you know, as early as the next couple of weeks. Um, simultaneously, DB's been leading the effort on putting together a draft implementation, basically everything just to make sure it all like hangs together. Obviously, we can keep iterating on it and, taking feedback and improving it. But um, the goal is to just have like all of this batch of uh, V3 work um, at least like sketched in. Um, and we're, we're also looking getting that done um, by the end of the month ish, like next couple of weeks as well. So um, like sort of everything is in progress. There are a lot of moving pieces here, um, but we have sort of, yeah, um, you know, like 305, 306, uh, is like more on the draft implementation side. 307, 301 is a little more on the like preparing for audit side, but it's it's sort of on a spectrum right now. Okay. And um, so so 303, 304, 302 SIP is done. It's just pending implementation. Am I right? Uh, I mean, I, I think we're going to sort of pick up the present where we left off with the presentation um, from Tuesday on these. And there's still I mean, I think we're going to get into more details on liquidations today. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we have sort of the draft implementation in progress, which will continue okay. to polish and sort of incorporate community feedback and everything as, as we go. All right. And who's driving 305? No, do you know? Um, DB is working on the draft implementation now. Um, I was going to, uh, I mean, I, I guess as early as next week, I can revisit the SIP and make sure that it reflects sort of where, where we're currently on with that. So, um, I think we could do a 305 presentation as early as next week. So, so this is the V3 scope. It's 301, 302 up to 307, but I see like there's a 306 missing. Ah, it's down. Uh, what, what, yeah, it's okay. further down. Yeah, yeah. Why is it like uh, like that? Not in the same. 
wavelength. Uh, I think it's because we put the start date a little further out. I, I guess we could pull it back because I think DB has already started a, a little bit of work on that. But um, yeah, uh, I, I think just on this chart, it's further out just because the start dates to the to the right of the red line. Okay, so so they are all being done, worked on simultaneously. It's not that we'll have these three or one to three or seven, and then we'll have a three or six later. It's just that. Uh, just placed later. Um, yeah, the idea is sort of three, 300 through 307 would be one one batch of work that would get sort of shipped at once, um, but we've broken it out into smaller pieces here just to add a little more clarity. Okay. That's uh, the three series. Next, I see 249. Um, the perp, it's uh, the BNB perp. Um, the status on it, it was implemented yesterday, and we just need to unpause it. I've uh, set up the SCCP and proposed some parameters on what we should expect with uh, 249. I think 249 is one of those good feeds that uh, we can have lowish feeds uh, fees on it, on them. Um, it has low low latency and uh, good liquidity. Uh, 230 Universal Circuit Breaker. Was that the one that was uh, implemented as well yesterday as part of the release? Um, yeah, everything everything you can see yeah. that's behind the red line uh, yeah. uh, to, uh, in the 200 series. 230, 257. Yeah, uh, but as you said, some of them have not been activated. They need an SCC sure, for sure, it. Sure. Uh, but Universal Cir Circuit Breaker doesn't need an SCCP, right? No, I don't think so. So, so DB is the author of uh, DB. Can you hop on the stage, please? So, so DB, if the the Universal Circuit Breaker, it's implemented and active as is? Uh, yeah, that should have been implemented as of this week. So, so what case. new, um, like, uh, what, what, from what I recall about the SIP is that it allows us to incorporate any circuit breaker mm -hmm. into our uh, system. It doesn't have to be a price circuit breaker. And this includes the uh, stuff that's related to that pool. Am I right? That's right. It works for any world. And what's the what's the parameter that was configured on it, or how does it uh, trigger? Uh, it triggers the same way as the previous circuit breaker implementation, uh, based on a simple threshold. If there's okay. more than okay. x, the same number, three x, I think. Yeah, three yeah. x or one third. Yeah. So if that that ratio increases by, or that that per share increases by three x. It triggers. That's right. That's it. No, right. And this is separate from the uh, caps on uh, on minting uh, on uh, on minting SUSD or not minting. It's uh, sending across bridges. Uh, it's a separate SIP, right? A separate circuit breaker. Uh, yeah, that's the rate limiting SIP. I don't know if we actually okay. have that SIP anymore. It might have been deleted. Deleted 
Uh, is there a reason? Well, that would have been a, it. Would have been months ago when uh, we thought it wasn't possible. I mean, um, ah, yeah, sure, sure. What I mean is, it's it a was pretty good, and that's good. Yeah, it's still there, and uh, I think okay. we we had a presentation already on it as well. And no, I I don't know. I I faintly recall that we spoke about it uh, at length. Um, so what's the status on 260 since that's your year and you're on, we're on the sheet? Is it going to be implemented or it's put, uh, shelved? Which is like currently shelved. 260. Yes. The red limiter. Why? It's currently not in, not being developed nor in feasibility. Okay. Because there okay. are other, other things with higher priority. Um, okay. In 267 to 68 are currently being developed. Uh, 237 is in feasibility. Um, and 252 is in ready for release. Um, the whatever's like in the future of the red line is currently okay. not being worked on because of priorities. Okay, all right. And um, so, so uh, moving on, then we, we can like change to to sixty to rejected, or is it kind kind of plan to be worked on in the future? Like, uh, I mean, the status of it in the in the SIP site is currently approved. Approved mean it was means it was. Uh, Kind of uh, voted on and approved by the council. So the only way that we can undo the approve is either have another vote that rejects it, you know, that's how you shelve it, or the author withdraws the SIP. Another way would be to set up um, an expectation ah. that that a SIP that has been passed has to be implemented within a certain time frame for it to be considered valid. Always has to be represented, and therefore we could have a way of uh, having SIPs that aren't. I smell another meta-governance SIP in the world. Uh, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, that's a good idea. Otherwise, we'll ha- end up having SIPs that were uh, approved and uh, later uh, deprioritized and put on the side. So yeah, that, that's I a actually, good idea. I did. I did write something uh, to this effect um, around around voting um, a while ago. I sort of met a that uh, kind of dealt with the, I guess, converse issue of something that was voted in and then sat there uh, for a while. It's, we probably should have covered uh, this this edge case as well. I think there's there's a there's a third category of uh, sit delay or whatever you want to call it, um, which is the Spartan Council's uh, ability to enforce prioritization of a SIP, um, which is also not covered. So, Tara, if you want to have a conversation um, about that, we can maybe see if we can write something that, that kind of covers it, um, some sort of escalation process or whatever. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but, yeah, I think there, there are definitely some medical gaps in, in the current SIP process. Yeah, feel free to forward me what you've got as a first step or... Sweet. All right, so what's the idea on 260? Should I set up a vote to reject it 
or should we uh, what, what do we do on this? We cannot keep it like this in the SIP site, you know, just approved, whatever. I think, uh, in my opinion, uh, yes, you but, should do that. And and if we want to do it again, we can bring it up, unshelf it in the future. But the reality is that we, we're not being able to implement it at the moment, considering everything else that we are implementing. Okay. So I'll set up another vote on this, and I expect the council to downvote it. Can I, can I ask why, uh, DB? Can I ask why DB doesn't just uh, ask the supporters to reject it, which would be a much faster process? Is is this contentious from DB's perspective? He's the older. He can he can withdraw the SIP if he wants. I guess I just don't want to withdraw the SIP because it is technically an upgrade which the system could use. But so the the process would be, you know, this has been agreed to be deprioritized. Um from a from a sort of consensus perspective, if the author is adamant that that shouldn't happen, then you know, we need to actually vote to reject it and, and the SWAT and Council needs to send that message. But if you know, if we reject it now, it can still be uh you know, moved into um uh, ready to be presented again in the future um, by the author uh, and then voted on again. So, you know, like, as long as you plan to maintain some level of awareness of the status of 260 in the future, then this is a much faster process. But either way, it's going to get rejected, it looks like. Okay. Okay. Quite a quite a situation. This is like maybe the first time we have this, where uh, the author is adamant keeping the SIP in place, and probably the Spartan Council, you know, they might say, "Well, hell, keep it in place," and then we have this escalation, where yeah, all right, uh, let's okay, let's let's vote it, let's vote it. Yeah, it's, then probably it will be kind of uh, the Spartan Council telling the CCC. Well, this SIP is staying, and it's needed, rather than and, the and CCC say, telling us the what's, what's priority. For sure. And, and this is where I get to the point of, okay, so the author says we still need it. It's been approved previously. We vote again, uh, and it's approved. Then we get into this situation, this meta-governance situation of we can't force them to prioritize it, right? Um, I guess, you know, DB could go rogue and just... We can't it. force them, um, no? uh, The Spartan Council can't force what's anything. The, what's, what's, what's the mechanism by which we force them to, to do this? Well, you can fire them, no? By how? instructing the Treasury them? Council to not uh, face the Treasury Council, for example, doesn't... or whatever. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm skeptical if there's an actual process by which you can fire uh, the CCC. Uh, no, not the CCC. The, I mean, uh, the the guy that's with, with that's kind of not allowed. But the, but, the tre- but the Treasury Council, the Treasury Council doesn't directly pay the the CCC. The CCC does, right? So you'd yeah, have to right. get the CCC to agree 
this is what I'm saying. Like, this is like, we don't have a natural process for this, right? This is kind of. Definitely. Uh, it's a governance. Uh, it's, 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 Black a, it's a governance gap. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I thought Tara might be interested, um, in thinking through a process like up, up to now, you know, there's been a level of sort of, uh, consensus, I guess, about, you know, issues like this in terms of prioritization. Um, I think, you know, step one is the Spartan Council can try and send a message and, and, you know, vote this back in and then put some pressure to prioritize it. But we have seen similar things like this happen in the past, right? Where the Spartan Council has had a different set of priorities to, uh, the CCs, right? And, and the CCC was in theory designed to kind of allow for mediation between that so that we don't get escalation. Um, but let's see what happens, I guess. We need to see what the process uh set up the necessary vote on this. No worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's set up the vote and see where it goes from there. Okay. I think it would be helpful to clarify that I simply wrote the SIP. Um I'm probably not the chief person who wants to see it implemented. Um Maybe there should be a difference in the future between that person and maybe the point person or the the backing person. You're trying to get hundred percent there. Oh, there, my there can be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there can That's be. That's the reason why I forgot about all this. Like I, I didn't even realize the status of two sixty or whatever because I just I just looked at myself as being the author and from there on it, you know, wherever it goes is is a. So separate. who is who's the the steward of the SIP? Um, from well, your perspective, then he's no other than. Uh, we we do have a few stewards. I'll just say that. <laughs> Can you tell me who they are? Who who is advocating for the SIP? The SIP they're just trying to throw whoever that is under the bus. I want to know who it is. I don't want to throw anyone <laughs> under the bus. You know, I don't encourage anyone throwing anyone under the bus. So, Kane, you have to read your. Messages in many channels to, to find out. I think. If, okay, can I ask, can I ask you a genuine question here? Right, is the person who is not DB and is advocating for the SIP on this call? Because no. if they are and they're not talk, okay, they're not. All right, no, they're well, not here. And I mean, he would have spoken of it. Okay, all right, fair. Well, I this I I can't play this game. I don't know who this is and. and what the deal is, so I'll just leave it at that for now. Alright. Um, let's, let's move on to uh, 257. 262. 257 to 62 were both uh, um, implemented yesterday. Uh, 257 is good to go, you know, there's no issue, no contention about the parameters they were in the SIP. So, um, I'll, I've set up the vote today that activates uh, 57. 57 will allow um, uh, traders and stakers to take a futures position that uh, changes based on the debt pool, the the price of the debt. That that's really an attractive feature. And uh, 262 is XMR and Dodge. Dodge is good to go. It's fine. Uh, XMR is the contentious one. I haven't had my, like, um, the issue with it, and I've shared it, shared my concerns with the council, 
and I'll share it now publicly, is that um, the issue with XMR is that the liquidity between exchanges is quite kind of weird. The withdrawals between exchanges isn't um, facilitated because the, the token itself or the chain itself is kind of contentious. And therefore, the price feeds, they're a bit weird. You see different price feeds all over the place, and they're not like close to each other. So this is a, something that I haven't faced before, and uh, given this, I'm a bit uh, worried about what kind of uh, fees and uh, uh, open interests we should allow for. Now, there is liquidity, nevertheless. It is uh, difficult from that perspective, is that you cannot measure latency with good um, measure, and I don't know what attack vectors can be done given that the dispersion on the price. Maybe it's harder to attack it from a latency perspective. Maybe there is something else that I'm missing. So that's that's the XMR. Dodge is good to go. I see that we're missing one. One uh, SIP here is the Optimism token one. Um, question is, is there a big difference between centralized and chain link? Well, you know, like, chain link is just a aggregation of the different uh, prices. A certain aggregation methodology that uses not average, maybe I think the mid, like the, the middle price. And so it removes outliers. And so that's that's how chain link works. Is it uh, different? Yeah, there's a, there's a significant difference of more than 1% between Binance and Chain. And it's persistent. It's not uh, something that's... Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's too risky or not. It's uh, like risk Risk is what? Risk is like loss of value. And how, how do we lose value? That's what I'm thinking about. If I want to attack it, how would I do that? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's that's XMR. Uh, optimism, uh, go ahead. So yeah, I do have a, a question here because I haven't actually um, I haven't actually looked at like the difference um, in these prices over time. I, I saw that they are different uh, currently, but I was wondering if you had any idea how long this has been going on. Because I'm curious if this is um, if this has to do I'm, with the recent hard fork or if it's been a longer running problem. You, you know, like. I, I, I seriously have not looked at, uh, at uh, Monero since uh, ever. Like, this is the first time I look at Monero and try to see how, how does it work. And, I, like, from all the things that we ever listed, this is the first time I see something that's like 1%, 2% difference between different uh, exchanges. And so, yeah, that's how it is. I think it's... Uh, if you cannot uh, withdraw it easily from exchange to exchange, the price will be like as if each exchange got hacked, you know. Remember when uh, like uh, KuCoin got, got hacked and the prices on KuCoin became different from the prices outside KuCoin, KuCoin for the same token? I think this is how Monero works. If you cannot withdraw it, the price it will take on its kind of its own. Yeah, what I'm wondering here is, um, since I do know there was a hard fork, um, I think it was just a, a week ago at this point. So um, ideally, uh, what 
I would hope to see is that maybe some of this divergence is just because um, wallets were uh, temporarily like withdrawals and deposits were temporarily um, paused. Um, I know yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I took um, at it today and it's still still. Vibrations, you know, but uh, maybe, I can, maybe if we give this a, a little time and, and check back in a week, but I can also go look and, and see. Um, I, I know uh, withdrawals must be paused on Binance. They were last time I checked, but I wonder if I could find some kind of timeline for when they'll be enabled so that we can see like when we might be able to look at what what these prices should look like moving into the future. Because, yeah, I, I agree it's kind of an issue if uh, if they never enable withdrawals and and this continues to be a huge divergence. Um, I'm not really sure what the attack but vector how, would look how like. Do you, yeah, how would you attack the synthetics is the question. Like, it's not like you can manipulate the, the mid... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of weird. Maybe if you can't have deposits... And you can move a certain price, then you can like manipulate it, you know. Uh, but that requires some liquidity because Monero is not liquid. It's like almost as liquid as Binance. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much, uh, I'm looking at it now. It has, uh, Okay, it's not very liquid. It's like Avi. It's, it's shit. In terms of liquidity. So, so I've put it on the side. Now, Optimism is the last one. Optimism, uh, uh token. Um, basically we're waiting for a bit of improvement into the latency before we, uh, uh, on posit, I feel like uh, we could do better. Otherwise, we'll be ending up with one percent fees, you know, and that's not really awesome to start with. Um, unless you guys are okay with it, then we can opt it. But uh, from what I understand, I'm waiting for Chainlink to improve their feeds. Maybe it was launched without the fast feeds, which is causing uh, a bit of a latency issue with the optimism token with respect to other other things. Um, the Optimism token, it has uh, some liquidity. It's not bad. It's uh, it's like Aave too. Yeah, these things that we're listing, they're, they're not awesome. They'll have low open interest and hopefully not, not so high fee. Um, what, what else? We have the curve integration, the direct integration, 268, 263. These two are pretty uh, still work in progress. I've had a meeting with DB and Mark uh, last week to discuss the state of the implementation. They, they've given me comments about how, from a technical perspective, it would look like. Try to incorporate their suggestions into the SIPs with um, updating the technical section. And we're having another meeting hopefully this week. So yeah, looking forward to these two, hopefully. Uh, 237, that's migration. Who's, who's handling that normally? 237? Uh, let me see.
by handling, you mean? Huh. End-to-end exchange. for it? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's uh, end-to-end exchange. Uh, yeah, look, I, you know, I think, um, I think the expectation is that, uh, there will be a couple of engineers, um, who will be working on this in parallel. Um, ultimately it comes down to the fact that, like, it isn't the highest priority, um, should we shelve it? Sips go. No, no, we should not shelve it. Um, I don't know. We should not <laughs> shelve it. Um, but, uh, but I do think, um, I think that, you know, we just need to continue to put pressure, um, for some resourcing to be allocated towards this, which is happening, um, okay. as far as I'm aware, um, such that, you know, like as I, I wrote in my blog post uh, a couple of weeks ago, like there's a hard dependency on this SIP being ready to implement in order for V2X to be shut down. We can't shut V2X down until this is done. And if we get to a point where V2X is done except for this, we're going to have a you know, four to six week window while we build it, audit it, get ready to implement. And without fucking fail, I guarantee you, in that four to six week period, there'll be 85 SIPs that get proposed for V2X that then push the timeline out. So at some point, we need to have this ready to go so that we can get the scope done, draw a line, reach consensus that V2X is done, implement 237, get everyone migrated to optimism, and then we can free scope and, and be ready to, um, to do the V3 migration. Um, but it's just a bit of a juggle right now. Um, but I'm, I'm happy-ish where it is right now. So I think we just let it continue to kind of be a slow burn. Okay. Um, I can so say a thing or two a... regarding resourcing if you want. Please go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. So we, we are moving pieces. Right, uh, to be able to, to do this, uh, right after direct integration, we're preparing for it. Um, the idea is that uh, after DB finishes, let's say the first MVP version or the proof of concept of B3, um, I will be able to continue that work, um, and polish it and iterate on it, um, with the B3 team, uh, and give space to DB to work on this. So we are making room for it. Okay, so it's not shelved. And uh, we didn't have a presentation on this yet. Uh, is the SIP uh, ready itself, or uh, is it? Uh, does it require more uh, preparation? The question is towards Kane, since he is driving it. I'm pretty sure we we did semi present it. Um, at one point, it's it's a pretty old SIP. Uh, it goes back to May. I I have a recollection of presenting it. Maybe I'm crazy, but um, I think a post presentation uh, there was enough contentiousness that it was just left in draft. Um, yeah. Let me let me have another uh, pass because there was a, an alternative uh, SIP as well, two oh seven, um, which which kind of addressed similar issues. Um, okay. So. I mean, I was I was kind of waiting until we had some technical resources to flesh it out from a technical perspective. Um, so maybe I can rope someone into doing that over the next week or so. All right, good. Two fifty-two is the liquidation famous 
escrow liquidation set. Um, basically, from what I understand, audit is done, and they're having a period of um, recollecting their notes and uh, communicating it to uh, the core contributors. Um, Ali, is am I right on this? For 252, uh, that's the it, status? It's actually slightly better. Um, that has already been done. It's currently being okay. staged for the next release. So uh, basically, markets okay. figuring out uh, what we can put in the next release. And I think we can we can imagine a testnet release next week and uh, knowing the, the official mainnet release date next week. So, so from what I understand is that um, Arthur asked for another review. Am I right? On 2.52. So are we doing another review for contributors side on this? Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of that being official. Uh, but I can okay. get back to you. As far as I know, no. All right. Uh, for, for, from what I understand, um, he he want he asked for a second review. You know, uh, second call for reviews of post of it. Um, I think the, the reason is that maybe like concerns about the significance of the changes being done on it unless I interpreted it incorrectly and there's something else he was mentioning. But in the channel uh, that, that uh, addresses this SIP, uh, from what I understand, Arthur asked for a review. Uh, cool. I'll, I'll get back to, I'll, I'll check with Mark and, and, and give you an update in the Sports and Council channel. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that covers everything that's uh, maybe not uh, put on the site. 56 FP. Um, is it in the same uh, ballpark as 260, or is it like not similar to 260? Um, I mean, we need to set up a vote, but after we get through the direct integration stuff, that's like the next highest priority for V2X. Okay. Uh, B2X stuff. So. Okay. Um, yeah, we're just, I think direct integrations is a higher priority at the moment. Like we definitely want that. We want the atomic swap, uh, one volume to, to come back a little bit. And then a after that, this is the next like, uh, thing that we're prioritizing from a product perspective. All right. Uh, 306, uh, collateral migrate, uh, 256 before we go, go on with that. Um, from a SIP perspective, you know, um, and there were some notes I needed to communicate to you on this. And but is the SIP ready itself for vote, or do we do you want to like uh, wait a bit on it because I didn't set it up for a vote? The question is for Afif, who's typing. Oh, sorry, I was responding to something I've called chat. What was the question? The question is that the SIP, is it ready for vote or is it pending something before we set up the vote? 
Um, I think we can set up the vote. Is the Spartan Council comfortable with voting on it? Or do they want uh, another presentation or something else regarding SIP 256? Good for both. All right. Set up the vote. Uh, 306, we spoke about it. Overflow and issuer, um, 259. Uh, again, I'd ask DB, what's the status on this one? Is it like 260, we should reject it, or is this something that's... Um, that one should be implemented. I believe we uh, did it like two releases ago. Ah, it's already implemented, huh? Yeah, implemented and deployed. All right, perfect. Uh, Ali, I think we need to remove 259 from the sheet then. Unless it's there yeah, for a Yeah, sorry reason. about that. No, no, no. Uh, it's, it's, All right. it's an error. I'll, uh, update the SIP site then that's, uh, it's already released. I didn't know about this. All right. That covers everything we have today. Well, uh, we can move to the general topic before we go on to SIP presentation. So the topic of the day is optimism uh, being uh, running on a private AWS server and uh, can rock the protocol at a moment's notice. And folks are worried about OPAC instructing uh, AWS to shut down optimism. Probably that's the topic of the day. Uh, so yeah, I have some thoughts about this. I, I think we should absolutely not, uh, get to a point given, um, the recency of this, uh, you know, regulatory, uh, overreach where we're hand waving stuff, right? Like I, I really think that we should actually, you know, take this opportunity to kind of interrogate everything that we're doing, um, both internally as well as, you know, external dependencies, um, and, and look at it from kind of a fresh lens, right? Um, I don't think we, we have the luxury of relying on sort of past precedent to, uh, to, you know, protect us here. Um, so, you know, the process itself of, uh, of kind of interrogating any of these dependencies and, and, you know, potential attack vectors, I think is a good process. Um, but at the same time, I think we also need to be careful not to overreact, right? Um, and, and not to, you know, draw conclusions that, uh, that are sort of, um, you know, not based in, in some kind of precedent, right? So the reality is that Tornado Cash, um, you know, while I personally believe that, uh, that, you know, OFAC, um, overreached the, the facts of what Tornado Cache is versus even, you know, what, like a, let's, let's take a different example, right? Let, let's take like XDI, you know, um, like a, a POA network or something like that. Um, you know, the idea that even, or even like BSC, right? Um, you know, a, a highly centralized, uh, uh, network like that. Looking at a network like that and assuming that, and, and, you know, this also goes for like, um, 
proof of stake Ethereum as well, but I'll get to that in a second. But like looking at a network like that, that is ostensibly, you know, uh, a generalized, uh, network for, uh, you know, decentralized computation and expecting that OFAC will go from, uh, specifically attempting to, uh, to block, you know, a, a set of contracts, um, and associated addresses on a network like that to sanctioning an entire network to me is not, uh, supported by the current evidence. Now, at this point, anything could happen, right? Like we have to, this is why I say, you know, it's important for us to, um, to, you know, take a very sort of adversarial stance and, and reinterrogate all of, all of our kind of prior assumptions. Um, but I just, I, I feel like that to me is, is a significant jump and, and escalation in, uh, in, in how adversarial the situation is. We've, we've had a jump, which means that it's very possible that another jump is likely. Um, but I, I just, I don't think that we have any, um, sort of evidence to support that this might happen, right? Um, you know, I would expect that before something like that would happen, we would see, uh, you know, multiple, uh, similar attacks on different sets of contracts on a network, for example, right? Like that to me feels like it would be, it would be a more likely path of escalation here. So all of that said, okay, great. Um, you know, do we think that like network level censorship, uh, from OFAC or, you know, um, sanctions from OFAC are likely? Probably not, which means that even if we are operating on networks, um, or even if, you know, networks are operating that are, are fairly centralized in terms of, uh, how block production works. I still feel like that's, that's a step that's not likely to happen in the short term. Um, you know, as Spreek mentioned though, right? Like time is ticking. Um, and, you know, uh, definitely regulators have demonstrated that they are willing to put up the ante in terms of their, um, you know, attacks on, on privacy and, and, Networks like this and contracts like this. So, you know, if, uh, if we don't continue to push forward, which, you know, there's no indication that we aren't, right? With the prioritization of decentralizing sequencer and, and, you know, increasing censorship resistance, um, then I think that we could have issues. But for now, my personal view is that I think it's pretty unlikely that, uh, there would be, you know, a direct attack on, uh, on the you know, the optimism network and, and the sequencer given the current environment. That's my like kind of over overall take on the situation. Um, but I, I don't think that should put us in a, a position where, you know, we're lulled into a false sense of security that that isn't a future possibility. I just think that it's not uh, a highly likely scenario in the short term. You know, like one, one, uh, one thing that was brought up, assuming that someone withdraws withdraws a huge amount of ETH from um, from Tornado and sends it to Optimism, and starts depositing stuff in different protocols. Does this implicate them in terms of uh, being uh, on the blacklist? If the question is, could the Optimism Bridge contract be, uh, sanctioned downstream of, uh, of, you know, Tornado Cash, 
um, but drawing a huge amount just because. Yeah, like I, I don't think the size lines, of the withdrawal. Uh, yeah, I don't even think the size of the withdrawal is necessarily, um, you know, the the, the concern yeah, here. But you know, yeah, I, I think just like conceptually, how many hops away from these sanctioned addresses, um, you know, do you need to be before um, before there's some kind of issue? Um, let's not forget, right? Like that, the downstream impact of these sanctioned addresses being blocked by uh, you know, centralized front ends and, and other, um, operators was purely induced, right? As far as we know, it's, there's no evidence that OFAC went to any other downstream party and said, you need to do this thing, right? This was all, uh, you know, kind of self-censorship and, and responses by, uh, centralized actors, right? So I think, a, you know, a bigger concern probably would be like, how confident is the Optimism Foundation um, and the operators of the sequencer in their uh, their own censorship resistance such that they wouldn't feel the need to um, sort of voluntarily comply with like some downstream impact if that happened. And I think the reality is that they would not feel like there was a need to comply just because someone had deposited, uh, you know, ETH. Um, to the bridge by a tornado cash. I, I just don't think that's a likely scenario. Um, that said, you know, we, maybe we should, uh, we should agitate for, um, you know, some, some, uh, more confidence on that point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the process would be where, whereby we would get that confidence, but, you know, it, it's a reasonable question to ask. As I said, that the, you know, my starting point was, I think we, there's no unreasonable question in this environment. There are a lot of concerns. Um, I was also thinking like about what, like last week you said we should have kind of a plan in terms of uh, uh, SIP, like a SIP for, for OFAC, uh, OFAC SIP, we can say. But, but like, uh, it's kind of like, doomsday scenario in case uh, we get implicated with an OFAC kind of uh, uh, ban, it would be like kind of uh, catastrophic. I don't know what, what measures you could take as a protocol to protect it against such an attack, regulatory attack. Do you mind elaborating on what's the scenario here exactly? Imagine that uh, Synthetix is added to OFAC because I mean, they're operating. What, like the treasury, SUSD? No, the, like the, the contracts, the Synthetix contracts. All of them? Yeah, and like uh, they didn't like spare any contracts with Tornado, right? Um, sure, I mean, it's there's not as many. Yeah, go ahead. So everything is sanctioned and Sorry? what like Infura blocks all of the, those addresses from MetaMask. I mean, the chain is still running, right? So. Sure, sure. But in the end, you know, like, uh, preparing for such an event via, I don't know, uh, like you lose GitHub, right? You need to like go to separate posted uh, GitHub. You lose uh, access to Infura, so users can't interact, you know, 
it's, it's kind of a, like a tricky kind of situation to be in. Although we like do preach uh, decentralization and censorship resistance, one one regulator can say, well, fuck off, no, you know. Yeah. I mean, like in Fura, it's, it's like an RPC. You have alternatives. MetaMask, you have alternatives. Like, I'm, I'm, sure. what, what would such a SIP even be saying? I mean, this is a conversation that every DeFi protocol would have. Like, you know, it's it's not specific to synthetics, but what would such a SIP be even saying? Well, I think the difference, uh, if I if I may, between synthetics and a lot of the DeFi protocols that might be having this conversation is that as far as I'm and and genuinely that's what I think it's in the open. That's first. We are that's the first thing, right? Because like maybe there have been uh you know backroom conversations uh you know nothing in the level or something like that. As far as I'm aware, there has been no real concern or or conversation about this with respect to synthetics, right? At least within the synthetics community. Like obviously there's been some some discussions uh in Discord and, and what have you. I certainly haven't had a conversation um about this because i just don't think it's that likely that there's anything that synthetics is doing right now that would uh trigger this like pretty clearly this is targeting mixers you know it's not the first time that opac has, has targeted mixers uh it is an area where i think that they find it particularly uh triggering now that said um you could imagine, you know, maybe as like a, a next step that like bridges or something like that become problematic, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're a state sanctioned actor that is, uh, you know, hacking various networks and then bridging those hacked funds back to Ethereum to get access to tornado cash, for example, right? You can imagine that OFAC would, uh, would, you know, turn up and, and say you can't facilitate that kind of activity, um, you know, allowing you to bridge stolen funds from some Solana rug, you know, to, to Ethereum, right? That that could be a potential downstream uh, impact or, or next step in, in this escalation. Um, if synthetics is operating uh, as we hope to be, Sim teleporters, right? Um, you know, even if it's not a mixing service, we could be implicated in that like wider bridge, uh, kind of, uh, you know, aggression, I guess, right? Um, so I think there is like some, some potential, but as it stands now, I don't think there's anything that synthetics is doing that, um, that would, you know, warrant scrutiny from OFAC, for example, right? Like, uh, I mean, the other alternative could be like just a general crackdown on stable coins. That is a possibility. Um, in which case, again, you know, synthetics would be implemented for SUSD. Uh, sorry, implicated for SUSD. Um, given that SUSD is one of the few uh, genuinely decentralized stablecoins out there, maybe that even makes it more likely. Um, so I, again, I, I think you know we have to be uh, we have to be mindful of uh, of you know the directions that this could escalate in and and what the implications would be for us. Um, the, I think the interesting thing about Tornado Cash is that like the intersectionality of demand for mixing services and the kind of like technical capability of, of users to route around, uh, censorship makes the, the entire OFAC process kind of nonsensical, right? Like I don't really think that, uh, you know, creating censorship for, uh, like, Kind of, uh, I 
you know, trying to put this in a nice way, like non-technical users, for example, um, is really going to have any meaningful impact, right? Like Lazarus or, you know, whatever the, the you know, hacking group that OFAC is trying to, or the multiple, you know, um, state sanctioned hacking groups that, um, that OFAC is trying to prevent access for. Like, there's no impact to this, right? Like this is, uh, you know, regulatory theater on some level, right? Um, I don't know who's, Whoever that sound is coming from, can you mute yourself, please? <laughs> Who is it? Uh, I don't know. Someone was freaking out. Uh, <laughs> only me and you, so. Yeah, okay. Well, then it must have been you. Um, so, so look, like the, the end result of that, right, I guess, is, um, is to say that uh, I don't think that if synthetics were um were to be sanctioned by OFAC if we if we just imagine that scenario, we have the same level of intersection of highly technical users that uh that want to access um at least like the, the kind of downstream services that synthetics offers. I'm fairly confident that stakers would route around this, right? I think the average staker has the technical capability and has demonstrated that to route around any attempt at censorship and, and staking would likely continue. Um, but there's no question that it would, it would be chaotic, right? Like there would be, you know, a, a huge issue um, in terms of probably price action and potentially liquidations and all kinds of stuff like that, I think is, is undeniable. Uh, but I do think staking would kind of continue. And then from that point, once the dust had settled and, you know, we had this new composition of stakers who were willing to continue staking and, and willing and able to kind of route around, uh, you know, the inevitable, um, RPC blocking and, and front end blocking that might occur or whatever, AWS getting shut down, who knows, right? At that point, then we would need to ask the question of, who is the consumer of synthetics, right? Like who, who's going to continue to consume, uh, what synthetics produces, you know, which is perps, um, you know, atomic swaps right now. Those are kind of the two things, right? And maybe like generalized stable coin, you know, uh, holders. Um, and the reality is that it would probably force us to become, you know, even more decentralized, um, than we are today. Um, and I think we're sufficiently decentralized today to resist any uh, attempt to sort of shut down synthetics, I, I think that we're well past that point. I don't think you could shut down synthetics. I think the contracts would continue to to function. It would just be on the periphery that it would be problematic. Um, and so we need to ask ourselves, you know, in a post-synthetic sanctions world, right, how uh, how impacted is demand for synthetic services? And I think the reality is that perps would probably be pretty impacted. Um, but, you know, not necessarily completely impacted. I think mainly impacted because we don't have the functionality that we would like today. I think there, you can imagine a future where like perps is sufficiently useful and it's not there yet, but like it, it should be in, in, in the near term that people would, uh, there would be sufficient demand that people would route around it. I think for atomic swaps, I have zero concerns whatsoever because atomic swaps yeah. is not something that happens on the front end, right? So atomic swaps probably continues uh, with very little impact because I think the, the vast majority of people are using it. Now, then you go, okay, well, now atomic swaps is working and then you have like some kind of one-inch implications and like does one-inch continue to, you know, route through atomic swaps if uh, if there's sanctions, et cetera. I don't know the answer to those questions, um, but you can imagine – and I 
a one inch fork or some alternative that continues to. And ultimately, if you're providing the best fill, I think that people will continue to, to, you know, use that service, right? So like, I think we have enough sufficient downstream demand for the services that synthetic produces that synthetics produces that we would continue seeing that demand. Although, you know, there would, there would be likely some, uh, sort of initial reduction that we need to build back up from. Um, I'm confident that staking would continue. I'm confident that the contracts and the processes that, that we use would continue. Um, but there's no question it would, it would be, uh, it would be significantly chaotic, right? Um, but I think it's survivable. But then again, you flip that around and you say like, how likely is it? To me, it feels like low single digit probabilities given the current environment that like synthetics itself would be sanctioned by OPAC. I don't think there's anything that synthetics is doing that would warrant that. Um, short of like, again, significant escalation, uh, you know, towards stable coins or maybe bridges or something along those lines. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's, it's always difficult to, you know, follow, follow up on Kane, especially after such an awesome rant. Definitely. And I fully agree. I've got just, like last week I also wanted to say it, but I, I guess I just didn't find it important enough to follow up on the conversation, but I, I'm pretty sure Tornado was a political thing. And I don't want to start a political conversation, but I don't think we fit, you know, into that group. Like unless someone, you know, like Gary or, or whomever, like congressman, you know, makes a case that some some Russian oligarch is using synthetics to, you know, continue overriding the, the sanctions, the, the global sanctions against Russia. So I guess unless someone's making such a case, I don't think we are uh, in danger. But let's assume, you know, that could happen. Uh, I think it's not completely right to say that we are sufficiently decentralized to be able to fight that off. I think V3GM is a must-have to be able to, to make such a statement. So as long as we have fake voting, like off-chain, we don't have direct on, on-chain voting, and as long as we have, like, you know, people managing multi-sigs, whether it's protocol DAO, whether it's council that are doxed and, and there's no fallback to that, I don't think we can make that statement. statement. So I think, you know, this could be a reason to kind of reprioritize V3GM. Well, to reprioritize, you have to go through the uh, CCC somehow. But like, I guess um, it's just a, a discussion at this point. I'm, I'm just saying that I think, you know, I'm, I'm not as comfortable. Yeah, saying, I, understand. I understand. Yeah, we are sufficiently I decentralized. I think V3GM, it, like, that's one solution to, to it. And I think it's pretty elegant, and I think that's needed to be able to m- make such claims, especially Definitely. with, you know, no. docs, individuals on, on multi-sigs controlling the whole person. Yeah. And the whole one thing about that, uh, uh, I think like something we're observing with B3 is that the architecture, uh, basically lets us fly through the code. Like it's, it's really easy to implement complex things. So it's like we overcome, uh, barriers that the technology had, right? So the, the way I see it, we should, uh, try to wrap up B2X ASAP, move to B3 ASAP, and then, uh, come back to B3GM. But prioritize, prioritize this ability to move faster. 
and, and I agree with you. So I, I because I, I also did say that I I'm you know very confident confident this was all political and that we don't fall into that c- category. And I I don't really see even with since teleporter, teleporters or you know I don't really think we could be in the same category as as mixers or mixing services. So I agree on prioritization. But yeah, I definitely say we can only be be saying sufficiently decentralized. Like it feels to me like we are kind of dancing around the fact that we still use many, you know, off-chain voting. Like protocol DAO is still a thing. Yeah, I guess that's what what. Look, you know, one hundred percent, we should put pressure on ourselves to be more decentralized, and and you know. Obviously, I have and, and a number of people have for a very long time. Um, but I actually disagree with you on, on, uh, like, if we, if we fundamentally ask the question, like, can synthetics continue to operate? Right. Um, and, and I include continue to operate, uh, you know, as like the, the kind of development pipeline as well. Right. Not just will the contract stay up right but um you know will will synthetics be able to continue to operate and continue to make changes to the protocol my answer is unequivocally yes right like we have i know i know what you're saying about off-chain voting and uh, you know snapshot or, or whatever but we have nfts that send a signal to the protocol DAO. the protocol DAO is made up of 13 people who are spread around the world and are not doxed right um I don't see any way that, um, you know, even like a, a state actor would be able to prevent the protocol DAO from reading the signal that's being sent, uh, by, by the, the, um, Spartan Council, um, and implementing those changes. Like what, by what mechanism do you, do you see that being censored? So you mean like the, the off-chain communication in this case? Yeah, like, okay, so, so, the Spartan Council has a set of NFTs that uh, allow for a vote, right, um, yeah. to occur, right? Um, that signal is then broadcast to the world, right? Um, the off-chain signal via so, snapshot. That's like probably going yeah, to yeah. So there's so there's a signal there's a signal sent by the Spartan Council to the world, right, by a snapshot that says do this thing, right, implement this SIP. Provided the the 13 members of the protocol DAO can receive that signal. Right. And are not prevented from, uh, from, you know, actually implementing that, that signal. Where, where in that chain do you see the censorship occurring? Do you see it happening at the snapshot level where the snapshot is somehow blocked? Uh, um, yeah, and I'm asking. Can't be received? I'm, I'm, I'm asking, asking you. you. I'm asking where you see the, where do you see in that, uh, chain the, the attack vector? Uh, and I'm challenging the, the snapshot aspect of it, whether snapshot Right. Is really something that would not adhere, adhere to, to sanctions. Like that's the first challenge I have. The second one is like, I'm a doxed Spartan council member that, you know, might chicken out due, due to sanctions. Yeah, but you might have to resign for sure. Yeah. 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 You might need to resign. You, for sure. You I mean, need to I resign. I, I don't it. see four people resign and we don't have V3GM yeah. that starts automatic, you know, vote, whatever. Like I'm just yeah. saying V3GM is a brilliant idea, you know, made by you, brilliant concept. And that's what's needed. You know, for me to be on the same wavelength as you at this point, maybe, right? Look, uh, B3GM is great, right? And ultimately, it is what we need. Um, I guess I, I just take issue. I think we need to be very careful, right, about um, 
what the implications of this would be, right, today, because we don't have V3GN, right? So I'm confident that we would be able to very rapidly route around uh, any signaling issue, like even even if Snapshot blocked us, right, let's say hypothetically. I think it would be possible for uh, a, um, a, a IPFS, based version of snapshot, a fork of snapshot to be deployed um, that would continue running, right? That would not require like even snapshot like UI. Um, so I think that that's totally fine. Your scenario of, you know, most of the council um, uh, resigning um, and us not having a council, um, obviously that's problematic. Um, and I think, you know, we have the capability, the, the protocol DAO has the capability to trigger an emergency election. Um, there would probably be some level of, I guess, uh, social consensus required there. So if we assume that Discord's gone now, um, and therefore, uh, you know, we, um, uh, yeah, well, IPFS, you know, again, that could be problematic as well. Um, someone in, in big pending saying, um, so, but like, you know, I think, I think, could we hold an election? under those kind of adversarial conditions? Yes. I think the answer is yes, we could. The elections are on chain. That's what I'm saying. The elections are on chain, right? Like, you know, we could could hold elections. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, The question is, uh, can we vote on proposals? I mean, can you nominate? Yeah, on chain, right? You can, right? You can do everything on chain. So I just wanted to take Elections like, are fully back. Yeah, like I don't want to have you know too much contention about this. Like I, I just think this is a very good conversation to be had. So I, I think this brings a lot of value. Like even me, you know, being on on the other side of, of you know, what what what, what Kane is saying. So this we touched the very good points. Um, I, I'd also probably you know if I wanted to go on, I, I'd also challenge the probability of Protocol DAO actually. Like I mean, I, you you do have a SIP that kind of elaborates that protocol DAO is like CCs who, who have been like for more than six months with the protocol and there aren't as many. So I don't think it's totally impossible to go through the docs CCs and, you know, try to find and someone would flip. I think someone wrote that. So like, sure, not likely, but V3GM kind of does ensure much, you know, more comfortable feeling of decentralization, at least in my book. That is 100% fair, right? Like, you know, again, like, I would have said the likelihood of someone writing open source software being arrested in a non-US country was like zero, right? So like, you know, again, this is why I say there's absolutely no issue for me, uh, you know, with like scrutinizing any aspect of our, our, our you know, decentralization um, you know, plans. And absolutely, V3GM is much more censorship resistant than the current system. There's no question. Um, and, and, you know, I personally think we should prioritize it, but we still need to weigh up the reality, which is that if something were to happen, uh, you know, even not, even something outside, like let's, you know, ignore the OFAC, let's say some other form of censorship or, or some other form of attack would happen, let's say, right? The, the biggest, uh, defense that we have, I personally believe, is demand. Like, if there's demand for the service that, uh, Synthetics produces, then you can kind of route around anything, right? So, 
given that we have this kind of nascent demand that we've created, I think the safest thing is to ensure that we maximize that demand in the short term such that we all collectively believe that there's something worth, you know, saving, right, and, and fighting for. Um, and so I think that, you know, V3GM is great, but if the demand isn't there, then no one's going to bother to use V3GM to, to kind of reconstitute the situation. In a way, B3GM is uh, implemented softly at the moment. One of the biggest components is already on chain. Um, the the other components are not, right? So finishing the implementation of B3GM is just moving the the votes on chain and connecting those votes uh, to replace the PDAO. So I think that we are using it. We're, we're just not using it fully on chain at the moment. And I think it's okay to postpone that for a few months and then go get back to it. Yeah. And, and for the record, I fully agree with that, but I still think this was a very valuable conversation. So. Right, let's move on to the presentations. Uh, if, uh, there are any other comments, final comments, final topics? Go ahead. What about Chainlink? Well, the nodes are supposed to be decentralized, no? They will always push prices regardless. Yeah, but Chainlink itself is a very uh, traditional U.S. company, and I'm sure that they would break down the infrastructure on their end if they were asked to. If well, I, I think in, sanctioned. You know, you know, like I think with V3DB we're heading in the direction of um, allowing any oracle to hook on to uh, an exchange. So it would be a matter of uh, maybe changing the hook. Eventually, not not with the current can I, state of P2S. So can I just make a can I make a point about I think the difference um, the difference for Chainlink um, versus some of these other uh, considerations. Chainlink is pushing prices um, at least right now because there is no um, allow list or filtering or whatever on access uh, to to reading um, the price fees. As it stands now, um, you know, Chainlink uh, pushes prices sort of agnostically to the chain, right? And says like, hey, here's the price of gold, right? Anyone can consume it. Um, you know, uh, there's there's no kind of cost for consuming that information. Um, so I think it would be a difficult case to make that the fact that some project or, or protocol is consuming those feeds um, Chainlink has no control over that, right? Like Chainlink has no control over who, who consumes. So it would require Chainlink pushing some information, uh, and, and the Chainlink node networks pushing some information, uh, that was deemed sufficiently problematic for Chainlink to get sanctioned directly. I don't think that, uh, that like, that sanction, sanctioning of a protocol that was consuming Chainlink feeds would have any impact on Chainlink's ability to continue providing those feeds. That, that's my 
take, like it would require again, like a significant escalation, um, which right now we don't have any evidence for. Um, and, and I, I think it would even require a significant escalation even over and above the scenario, some of the scenarios that I discussed around like, you know, block production or whatever. Like Chainlink is, is pretty credibly neutral in the sense of they're publishing prices on chain that anyone who has access to the chain can read. Like it's, it's a far less, uh, challenging situation, I think, for them, um, than, than, you know, for, a, a set of smart contracts that's like providing a function, right? Um, that's actually providing a service. Um, so I like I'm I'm pretty okay with the the current status of Chainlink as it is now. If Chainlink were to implement, um, a, you know, some future functionality whereby you know um, you have to pay to consume the price feeds or something like that, um, then I absolutely could see a scenario where uh a specific set of contracts could be blocked from reading uh reading you know those uh those price feeds. Um I can see that happening. Um but then the question is, you know, would Chainlink node operators uh adhere to that or you know would they fork and, and start you know uh pushing prices to like some alternative network, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a whole set of questions there. But um you know it is it is concerning for sure. Um and, and again, it's worth asking the question, but I think Chainlink is sufficiently um, neutral as like a, a just a provider generalized price feeds to a network that it would be hard to to you know go after them and say you're facilitating this service or something like that. Uh, go ahead, Roger. Uh, you asked to. We can hear you, I think. Yeah. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, hey, Roger. This is Roger from Chainlink. So we're lucky to have him here in the right time. Go ahead. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Happy to, happy to discuss some of this stuff because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably a bit confusing and, and not necessarily really well documented. Um, we, we do operate, you know, Chainlink Labs, which, you know, Chainlink Labs is the, is the, is the entity that, uh, you know, develops the Chainlink software, which is, which is all open source. The the actual corporate structure is actually like out of the Grand Caymans. So um, even though we operate in the U.S., um, if you do a little bit of digging, uh, I don't think that um, you know U.S. sanctions would would necessarily be something that would be be frightening the chain link. Um, this is no this is not legal advice by any means. But uh, and uh, you know the way that the, the decentralization of the the Oracle network is you know all of our node operators are all independent. Right. So that's, you know, one of the one of the strengths is that all of the node operators participate together to come together to consensus and then write the information on chain. And, you know, all the stuff that Kane said, of course, is is correct. So it wouldn't be just us doing something. There would be, you know, a, a whole bunch of other node operators that are, you know, all over, you know, that are headquartered all over the world that would would also have to you know, kind of comply with, with some sort of, sort of sanction or something like that. And, and right now, you know, there's no, you know, we're, we're, we're just publishing data to the blockchain, right? There isn't any, you know, restrictions on people reading that. So, um, just a couple of clarification points, hopefully. Thanks, Roger. That's helpful. Awesome. That, Thank that you. Was my, that was my take on it as well. Um, and I mean, you know, I think rightly, uh, Big Penny, you know, uh, sort of says like Chainlink is absolutely, um, you know, a critical piece of infrastructure. 
for the entirety of V5 at this point. Um, congrats to Chainlink for, you know, becoming so dominant. Um, but I just think that, you know, being a, a kind of credible, credibly neutral party that's publishing prices on, on the blockchain is not, uh, currently in the crosshairs, um, of, of regulators realistically. Um, I just don't think we're there yet. If we get there, we're going to have other bigger problems probably. All right. I think, uh, we've covered this topic long enough today. Um, let's move on to SIP presentations if possible. We have two SIPs, uh, for today. Let's start with the Euro one. It's short and quick. Uh, Gunboat, can you come on the stage, please? Oh, okay. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, can hear you. Go ahead, please. Oh. So you're presenting SIP 270, adding uh, S-Euro to Optimism. Can you shut down yeah. the station? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so basically, Euro uh, is already in future, already is in future. So, uh, as a feature validity to the minute. And I think that it's already have, we already have a use case because Angel, Angel protocol already lists that as AGEUR in optimism. So I think this is, so I think, I, uh, so I think this is a, a use case. Yeah. Already. Oh, all right. That's perfect. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, I think, you know, it's not something that can be manipulated. It's like a state. Yeah, Follick is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's safe. There's no contention here. Um, anyone on yeah. the council has, uh, has any objection or of adding a zero? It would allow in cross asset swaps on, on optimism to take place with the euro. Okay, so I'll, I'll set up the vote then for for a zero. Thank you, Gumbo. That was sweet and short. <laughs> okay. Um, next up is the uh, V3. Are you up for it a few today, or you want to postpone it to another day? Since we had so we so many lengthy discussions today. Yeah, we did, but it's 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 a quick one. It's good that it's a quick one. So. Liquidations, right? Uh, we're doing yeah. um, SIP 304. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Please go ahead. I can post it. Oh, you got it. Cool. Thanks. I got it. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. So this is kind of like a, a logical follow-up from markets and pools the other day. Um, and I'll kind of give some context on the rationale design. Um, for If you if you recall from, from pool, the presentation of whichever one pools is, 303, um, you have a, a, a pool, which is basically like a debt allocation strategy, right? Like which markets you're participating in. Um, and then within, uh, but a pool kind of has like vaults that can all be kind of using the same strategy, but are different collateral types. So each vault is like whatever collateral. And so 
the idea behind that was it was kind of a solution for, well, if we want to have socialized liquidations, we don't want to mix collateral types because, you know, maybe if you're staking LUSD, you don't want to get ETH or if you're staking ETH, you don't want to get SNX or, or whatever. Like it, there was just a, a motivation to keep things as homogenous as possible. So the solution was to just create these vaults that are basically like the different uh, sections uh, 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 like of a pool of people all in the same strategy. And then you have socialized liquidations within a vault. So when somebody gets liquidated uh, with, within a vault, then it would just be their debt would be socialized to the other accounts in the vault. Um, and then one level higher is what if the entire vault is insolvent um, or if the entire vault needs to be liquidated? It's getting close to the liquidation threshold. Um, that would be liquidated through like a standard liquidation mechanism. Uh, basically where SUSD is provided to pay off all the debts and then the collateral is, is freed up. Uh, but that would really be more like, we would never expect this obviously like for the canonical Spartan Council fund. That's more of a down the line thing, like to the extent that we've never seen the whole network collapse and need to be liquidated so far, we wouldn't expect to see that. It's more of if you have, you know, people who are participating in, in sketchy markets or it's a small fund, it's a small vault that was, that didn't really have much collateral staking to it. Like, let's say you had like, like uh, an LUSD vault or something that a lot of people didn't really want to stake with. Like it's possible that the couple users in there might need to be liquidated and then there wouldn't be anybody to socialize the debt to. Um, I think at a high level, that's pretty much it. It, it borrows a lot of, of what we do today, there are some changes that are listed in the SIP, but um, I think I'll pause there for now and see if there are any questions. I wasn't looking in Gov call chat or no RDB. If I've missed anything critical, please. No, no, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, so, so uh, if I can just like uh, maybe reconfirm it, so that maybe you can tell me if I understood it right or wrong, is that you have a position that's uh, socialized among among that vault and in case the vault entirely goes below a minimum C ratio all of them get liquidated externally by an actor who brings in SUSD to close the vault and take the collateral. Am I right? That's the two yeah. liquidations. Well, if the whole vault, like presumably if it gets to the point where the whole vault is under collateralized, then that means there's nobody left to socialize to, right? Like if you've socialized every step you can, and now there's basically like one or two wallets that are carrying the whole burden, and they just drop below C-ratio. And since the vault is homogenous collateral types, like they all have the same minimum C-ratio. Uh, and and so, yeah, but so somebody would have to take all the debt, you know, buy SUSD and then get the discounted collateral and liquidate it. So, so, of course, like, like my 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 concern here is the is, is the edge case that's maybe I've discussed before, where a vault goes underwater, and we therefore have some SUSD that's not backed by hundred percent collateral by less than hundred uh, percent, and I asked at the time for some unwinding mechanism for that vault. Where the, the treasury can like whatever pay the the amount, or we could have like a fund, an emergency fund that settles the the debt in that vault so that to uh, clear the debt. Uh, yeah. So. Was, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Well, so no, they're, they're, they're inherent mechanisms like at the market and pool level that basically cap. So markets can like take on a debt, right? By like, let's say issuing more SUSD than they take in, right? Like if you're trading with the futures market and you make a profit and you cash out, then the, the futures market is going to be a net issuer of SUSD, right? And it's just passing on that debt to all of the stakers who are in the pools that touch it in some way, right? Um, there are, there are inherent controls, um, in the, in the setup of the pools that basically limit how much SUSD markets can issue based on how much, uh, collateral is backing them. So the only thing that could happen is if you have like some, like non, you know, maybe non-Spartan council sanctioned market or something like that. Like this is eventually, obviously it's down the line. Like initially it's just going to be governance managed markets and the Spartan council fund, uh, pool, but, uh, down the line, if you have permissionless pools, their number one priority is protecting the integrity of SUSD, and so they won't issue more SUSD than can be than can be backed by the collateral. So, uh, it 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 wouldn't be possible. Uh, you mean I guess if there's an edge case where the buffer wasn't enough to to pay the debt, is that is that maybe what you're asking? So, no, my question is that uh, yeah, the buffer isn't enough. Uh, to repay the debt because of prices going down. Like, uh, th- there are like few scenarios that could lead to this one is, uh, yeah, and that could happen, you know, it's not unlikely that we have an illiquid asset, SNX, that's, uh, in a vault. And if you liquidate it in the market, you won't get enough money to repay the debt. Uh, yeah, so, no, well, that, yeah. So it never gets liquidated, you know, and it goes underwater. That's one scenario. Yeah. Uh, so for that scenario, like, that's why governance would have to only allow, like, liquid collateral types. Like, for, like, initially, like, I think you would probably want to limit anything that's not ETH. And, like, really, it should just be ETH. Like, we kind of, we have that issue already with SNX. Like we socialize, but like past the point, if we're not able to socialize anymore, like ultimately we have a very illiquid collateral type that can't. So the solution to that is just proper risk management where you don't allow more minting against illiquid collateral. So it's kind of more of like a, uh, like a, like a general risk management problem and not necessarily anything that's inherent to the system. So like this, illiquid collateral types would have to be limited in how much debt they can take on. I wish they would be because they would have a very high minimum C ratio, right? So, Cassette asked the question here, is that if traders can absorb the losses? And Noah replied to her that it depends on if other pools are, are, other pools are backing that market. So what, what does he mean here? Like, uh, yeah, um, just maybe like to approach it from a different angle, I, I think like, um, I, I think we want to think of it where we want we, we sort of want there to be a failure state if we're going to have eventually um, permissionless markets and uh, pools, right? Where so long, I mean the, the main priority is making sure that we're we're um, making sure all the stable coins are backed, right? But if someone creates a, a, an experimental market and um, uh, and they back it with their own collateral and the synth is circulating, but they, they can sort of do whatever they want. Um, 
if traders that are, are um, participating in that experimental market, like they run a risk of getting rugged, right? Um, and I think it's sort of analogous to how um, with Uniswap, for instance, you could have a pool uh, that gets wrecked, but like the entire protocol doesn't suffer for that reason. So you're able to sort of spin up, um, you know, it, it makes it more composable and, and robust in that way. So I, I would think of it more through that lens where, um, like traders could absorb losses if they're trading like, uh, S idiot. We, we discussed as the example on the last call, right? Like we, we want to make sure that there is a way that they can get, uh, rugged. It's, it's a little counterintuitive, but I think that's, that's another good perspective to take to this. Yeah. I, I guess basically it's like the system is designed to always contain risk and not let it spread throughout the system. Like you could either have permissionless markets or you can have, you know, permissionless collateral. Like there's different trade-offs of what you want, but I think if you want to have eventually have like a protocol that's a good ground for experimentation and innovation, like you kind of have to move in these, these directions where ultimately like there are, are markets that are not necessarily, you know, sanctioned by the protocol and people and users just have to be aware uh, of what they're getting into or like you would only want like, in some sense, like the Spartan, like anything that's approved by the Spartan Council would kind of be like, you know, like a blue, uh, a blue chip market. Like these are the, these are the things that can be trusted because it has all this collateral backing it. If you look at another market and you say, well, you know, there's not much collateral backing this, then it, it would be risky, but who would have that, you know, in their front end to begin with? Um, yeah. And also like, I, I also want to emphasize this again, like it's kind of like a distinction. Like we kind of talk about these, uh, potential applications like permissionless markets as just kind of to highlight the potential benefits down the line. But it's, again, like that's not necessarily what's being proposed here. Uh, it's just the architecture and the architecture can be after, you know, after it's on mainnet and it's been tested, it can be used for stuff like that. Uh, but obviously we wouldn't just jump right into letting people create permissionless markets and permissionless pools and, you know, let people, you know, spin up their own oracles and have people delegate to it. Like, It'll be a very, very gradual, like, take the training wheels off uh, before doing anything. Okay. So that's asking, is there, a, like, an insurance fund of some kind where um, you'd have, like, a, a CSD pool or a pool of funds that uh, maybe part of uh, fees go there and you could use it uh, to pay off delinquent uh, vaults? Instead of plugging yeah, traders, we've talked to, we've talked about that, but like then like the, it, it needs more consideration. Like then there are certain vectors where you could create a malicious market and a malicious vault just to drain the insurance fund. Um, so like it, it's a good idea, but it needs more it needs it needs more consideration, and that would be a separate sip. Like whenever we get to the point where we want to do permissionless markets. Um, like if if an insurance fund is necessary for that, it would be a separate proposal. The, the only like concern I have, you know, is that right now, if uh, Staker goes underwater, he's below hundred percent on SNX. He gets his account closed, and so SUSD is still backed by something that's more than hundred per account. And with the vault approach, we just have to be careful with the collateral with this thing has to be ultra liquid otherwise we could run that risk 
And that's I mean, that. we run that. I mean, yeah, for external collaterals, but for right now, we run that risk. We just like pretend it doesn't exist. But like, like SNX collateral is the biggest risk for that. Like, if we had ETH collateral, like I wouldn't worry about that nearly as much. But like, it's socialized just like it is now, um, up to the point where it can't be socialized anymore. Which we don't really have an option now for, like, what would we do if we couldn't socialize anymore? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I just clarify one thing. Um, given that liquidations are socialized, uh, is there any potential capacity or economic advantage in entering a vault at the point of liquidation and then rapidly exiting? Mm, that's a good point. Um, so you see somebody is about to get liquidated and then you add collateral so that you can get their discounted collateral. Well, you'd also take on their discount. You'd also take on their debt. Um, so it wouldn't be free, but I guess like in theory, you could get like some slightly discounted Ethereum yeah, by doing. That's what happens with that's what happens with liquidity. Like yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't think it's necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily yeah, yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, it's actually a good thing because it adds more uh, liquidity to the fund when it's at a point where it could be going lower. Yeah, like basically, if you wanted to be a mercenary liquidator like that, it would basically be like if the liquidation wasn't socialized at all. Um, uh, which is not necessarily like if people want to st step in and do that and not pass to, as much debt on to the rest of the vault. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think the end result is it becomes like a, a hybrid. Um, you know, it's like just in time liquidation. Yeah, just something like that, right? Like you know, you, it's it's hard to stop people unless unless you had some kind of uh, mechanism whereby like liquidations were distributed based on like time that you were in the market or something like that. Um, which I think my view would be let's allow this to occur first, see what the implications are, if it's problematic. I don't think I don't think there's any obvious concern right now, like at you know, DB's point, like it actually makes the market more robust at, at the time that it needs it. Um, but if if uh, existing stakers are annoyed that they're not maximizing their liquidation profits, there are probably ways to like tamp down on this. Okay. And so with the liquidation ratio um, be specifiable in, in this SIP or it's in a different SIP? Like I see here, you have a liquidation reward uh, um, SCCP configurable value, but I don't see other uh, parameters pertaining to liquidation. Uh, at, the, at the bottom of uh, 302, uh, we have uh, a minimum C ratio and a target C ratio to be specified per uh, collateral type. And the minimum C ratio is the liquidation ratio. Target is like what you meant at. Is that it? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And um, where is the vault liquidation ratio? Is it min C ratio as a total? 
Yeah, it's the same thing. Like the way I, I, I think it's like it, the way to think about it is if an individual position is below the minimum, it can be liquidated and uh, um, socialized. If the entire vault is under the C ratio, then we have the um, you know the, the other liquidation mechanism. But because the vaults are are uh, you know, um, collateral type specific, we can just use that number across the board. And the liquidation reward is the same per user and per uh, vault, like uh, it's the same number of uh, uh, collateral the liquidator would be getting. Like, uh, do you understand my question? Or Oh, I see. Like we have the liquidation reward as a... Uh... Yeah, that's a good point. I guess we probably should move that to be collateral type. Oh yeah, no, the intention here is that yeah, it's collateral type specific. Sure. I'm um, my question is that um the liquidation reward, you know, is it's uh like a reward for triggering uh like what is liquidation reward here? Is it the penalty imposed on uh vault liquidation? What is it? Uh it's it's the incentive for someone to call the function Trigger that triggers the, the socialized yeah, liquidation. Yeah. yeah, I guess we can clear that up here. Yeah. Okay. And so if the vault goes underwater, like let's say one twenty percent, and someone brings a hundred dollars of that to close the vault, they'll get one twenty dollars, they'll got get all the collateral in the vault. So it's not uh restoring the min C ratio approach. It's closing the vault altogether. Am I right? I, I think the intention to, is to allow for um, partial liquidations through that mechanism as well, but um, if you can speak to that. Yeah, no, no, that's right. What is it, sorry? Is it uh, partial or is it total? No, uh, there can be partial. You, are you talking about liquidation of the vault? Yeah. It's not I mean, specified yeah. in this asset, or is it? I don't, I don't know if I. Um, I don't see it in here. I mean, there should be partial. I mean, if that's what you're asking, yeah, there should be yeah, partial. Yeah, that's, that's my question. Is it, we can is specify it that in the SIP. And the only way that it can't be partial if the liquidation, if the vault um, uh, ratio is below the, um, the thir below a certain threshold, maybe uh, it doesn't become partial. Uh, like 100% plus the penalty. That's how it works. Uh, penalty, there's no penalty, right? Or is there a penalty? Um, yeah, I don't know how it works. So, yeah, we, we, we don't have a penalty specified in the SIP. We could discuss that. Um, for the partial liquidation scenario, um, again, this could definitely be made more clear, but on that liquidate vault section, there, we're, we're specifying an amount uh, would be that third parameter. So um, if you're providing an amount that's worth you know, the entire vault, then you're looking at the entire thing. If you provide an amount worth half the vault, you get half the thing, et cetera. Well, that's, uh, the, 
that, that's a bit uh, problematic if you can provide any amount you want, right? I think uh, I'm thinking of ways you can like attack it. If you, if you like, just like, like normally it's either restored to min C ratio or uh, um, just wipe it out and close it. But if you can just like uh, keep uh, hitting it at uh, a certain partial value, um, if you're liquidated, your account, your uh, position is closed. Yeah, I'm speaking at the vault level. Yeah, yeah. Vault level, not collateral. Well, the, the vault can only be liquidated if the entire vault is under the minimum C ratio. So, um, like, I don't, I don't necessarily see how there's an attack vector here. Although, I mean, we we could add a, add a penalty um, as well. I mean, it's not really going to be going after like, um, it's not going to be punitive to like an individual actor, right? I think this this is going to end up being more of edge case with a strange pool and a strange market. Um, but yeah, I mean, adding a penalty here could be could could have interesting implications. I'm not really sure. So, so if there is no penalty, then there is no incentive to liquidate, right? Uh, well, you're you're buying the discounted collateral essentially. Okay, and the discounted collateral, um, to, to like, if you're restoring to men C ratio, there has to be a penalty, you know. Uh, like, wh wh why, why is it discounted if it's like, let's say the vault is at 120%. That's the min C ratio, you know, that's when it gets discounted. So you can restore it to this, the, that's how it works right now to the, um, a staking ratio, which is like, let's say 150%. And to do that, uh, you pay some amount of money and, there's a, like a computation of it, but there has to be a penalty incorporated to reflect that discount, you know. I think we forgot to specify it in the set, but like there is a liquidation penalty. Okay. Um, no. All right. I think we just left it out of the vault. Like and, and the part. and the partial part and the partial part is like. It's uh, like if it's not partial, if it's complete, then 120 done. The penalty is 20%, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we can update, we can update the set and add more clarification on those parts. I guess that's, that was my, the question I had on this, on my side. Uh, we can call it a day unless there's more questions, concerns, or if you want to add something, Afif, on this sip. Uh, no, nothing else. All right, perfect. Um, before we wrap up, you know, since we still have like eight minutes, I'm uh, sorry I'm taking a lot of time today, but it's like the an important topic. Um, Sip to seventy one. Um, I I've started drafting it, and I'd love some comments, like if uh, if possible, if it's possible to do it today, so that we can like just prepare for the presentation maybe next week, if 
um, so I can make the changes. So 271 is pretty straightforward. It's shutting down the network. Is everyone okay with shutting down everything, like suspending the system as itself, rather than suspending, suspending different parts of it? So since movement would be stopped, SNX movement would be stopped. For how long? And sorry, uh, I, spe- I specified, no, I specified in the SIP for two hours before the expected uh, merge block and to mm-hmm. be restored after we do checks. The checks would be the check the chain link feed is working, minting burning is working, exchanges are working, transfers are working. Like each single item uh, has to be like kind of verified. Even the LUSD feed is okay, RAM Bitcoin feed as well. But so we don't really have a feeling how long that could take, right? Or after well, like if, if the script is ready, you know, if we like have it as a SIP and we like uh, enforce the force the CCC to like prioritize this, you know, to have a like an off-chain script that does these checks. Uh, the checks would be on a forked uh, forked network, you know. Uh, no, it's yeah. not restarting POW. I specified in the SIP that would never be resumed again. I think like two, three hours, like is definitely fine. But if there is a chance, it could be more. I just wonder if we can decouple like synth transfers or specifically SUSD transfer. And I'm not only asking as a Taylor's representative. There are other many projects using SUSD. It's very liquid, so we I might understand. have you know side effects that's just damaging to our PR if we block SUSD transfers without really needing to. Like I'm, I'm just wondering if it's really, you know, a risk surface yeah, to have that transfer. Like the, like the reason, you know, why I suspended the entire system or I proposed to suspend it, because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there are parts of the system that can't be suspended unless we suspend the system. And just like this is, I guess, like for example, loans. I don't know if we can like uh, shut down. I mean, not, not loans. You have like uh, wrappers too. I don't know if we can shut them down. There are different uh, different parts, and they're all depending on this one one big button that we have. Unfortunately, it kills also since transfers. But but you know, as you're saying that, so just to to make sure I hear you right, there is this global pause yeah global suspense system wrappers yeah sus- yeah suspense system that kills everything. Yeah, it I mean yeah, everything. do it. It sounds fine. Like ours definitely fine. But yeah. Plenty of notice. I think that's important. Two hours before and like after merge uh, or uh, uh, we move to POS, uh, we need to uh, like have a check on these things. Prices are reasonable, and I've ro- I've written down a list of checks. I'll present it next week. Testing of flagging accounts and liquidating them on a port net. Everything on a port. Uh, yeah. If everything goes fine, then we just like. Uh, uh, immediately activated. That sounds reasonable to me. So I'm just saying on the comp side to to have enough, you know, notice. Uh, yeah, that's why I, I, I didn't want to like. Uh, we're starting the process a bit early. We still have a month, so probably there will be communication ahead of time, and uh, core contributors will have time to play with uh, Canon to set up the necessary tests.
All right. That's about it for today. That's what I wanted to bring up. Well, you cannot extract value if the system is shut down. You know, I, I am kind of worried of everyone dumping their SETH to ETH or S-Bitcoin to ETH as well, just before the merge event, to be able to farm POW. And I like think you just us. gave them the idea now, to be honest, didn't cross my mind. Pretty good idea. No, that, that, that's something I had in, I had in mind, like uh, blowing up the peg everywhere just just before a merge. And so then, you're like, after you merge... it straight away. Oh. What, what? Sorry? So you're saying we better trade our SEAT to ETH straight away so we don't... Yeah, it's, it's, it's dump right. the SEAT to ETH. You have... Uh, and dump the SUSD. Give it... <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone, and have a good evening. Good evening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you.